Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Broadband.Money. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our first episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our platinum sponsor, Broadband Money, our gold sponsors, Jonar Tools, Millennium, and my tv bundle that bundle also i'd like to thank our silver sponsors stl i hope that everyone has had a happy new year and is looking forward to a promising of an extremely exciting year ahead one of our biggest items for the industry this year will be the broadband infrastructure investment that was part of the iija that was signed into law at the end of 2021 NTI will be administering about $46 billion of the broadband investment funding, which will include the BEAD, Middle Mile, and Digital Equity programs. NTI has held one listening session so far, gathering input on implementing these programs. Additional listening sessions will be held in January and February. NTI is also receiving comments on issues it's raised at these listening sessions. You know, we had expected NTI to post its notice seeking comments on these programs before Christmas. Uh, We now expect that notice to be uh, issued shortly and FBA will definitely be weighing in. Um, The the FCC has also been receiving comments on proposed rules for its new $14.2 billion affordable uh, connectivity program, ACP, which as of December 31st, replaced the emergency broadband benefits program. The FCC is scheduled to issue these rules on January 14th. In the meanwhile, the FCC has issued guidance for the transition, which gives broadband providers flexibility in complying with the ACP requirements during the transition. The FCC also continues to award schools and libraries um, for broadband connectivity and devices to address remote learning needs during the pandemic, the $7.2 billion emergency connectivity fund. So far, the FCC has awarded $3.8 billion in all 50 states and territories and D.C. On the RDOF front, the FCC continues to approve long-form applications. And just before the break, on December 16th, it award another billion dollars in support. And then on December 15th, the FCC issued a notice of inquiry on the future of Universal Services Fund, USF, which was mandated by the infrastructure law. The FCC is to provide Congress with a report later this year. And as I've outlined on several occasions, the Fiber Broadband Association's focus is now shifting from the federal level to the states, where we're developing a federal funding playbook that will be provided to all state broadband offices to help them enable them to put in place best practices to accelerate the availability and deployment of the broadband infrastructure funding. That brings us to our topic of this morning's Fiber for Breakfast session, charting Oregon's trail to digital equity. Last week, we met with our good friend and strategic research partner, Mike Render, to discuss the latest fiber deployment numbers. 
not only did we see a strong uptick in fiber deployment in 2020 by operators in every market segment, that's the tier ones, tier twos, the rural um, operators, the electric co-ops, municipalities, every segment was uh, ticked up. But Mike is also forecasting that we'll see more fiber deployed in the next five years than we've seen in the past 20. We issued a press release on this, our findings this morning, um, and it'll highlight the results of our uh, fiber service providers deployment study. Today, our guest is Daniel Holbrook of the Oregon Broadband Office and Business Oregon. And today's topic is charting Oregon's trail to digital equity. Daniel Holbrook is Oregon's broadband manager, and he is he which he describes as both an honor and a commitment. Access to high-speed internet is critical to individual and community survival, which is why Daniel works to connect Oregon's unconnected and unserved and underserved communities. He has been on the business Oregon team since the fall of 2016. Daniel has a bachelor's degree in geography, as well as a master's degree in city and regional planning from the University of Memphis. In addition to his education, Daniel has two decades of experience in land use and infrastructure planning, management, and geographic information systems. Daniel is also a Navy veteran. Thank you, Daniel, for your service. We really appreciate that. An active member of the American Institute of Certified Planners and serves on the Dayton City Council. So welcome, Daniel. And for our audience, please type in your questions and Daniel will provide a um, email response. So with that, we'll send it over to Daniel. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate that introduction. And yes, Oregon is on a journey to digital equity. I compare it to preparing for a long hike. And uh, if anyone thinks of Oregon hiking and our terrain, basically they're almost synonymous. Digital equity is a process that goes uh, to ensure that high-speed internet is available to all Oregonians, along with ensuring that they have devices, training, and the support because it's essential to fully engage our economy and society. So when I think about hiking you know, and preparing for a hike, you know, some of the key things is you, know, you start with research. Uh, you also strategize, how are you gonna take you know, this hike on? Uh, it's a long-term thing, it's not just something quick. You also have to make sure that you have the right gear and the tools, maps are essential. And the other thing is you actually have to practice. Um, so, you know, it's it's about exercise, it's about flexing and just testing things and see if it works. Oregon, for some of you who may not know, is the ninth largest state by area and by population, it's 27th. We have both urban and what are called frontier communities. And to get a sense of what a frontier community is, it's very remote areas. So in comparison, three of our largest counties are larger than nine of the U.S. states and have populations of less than 10,000. Some of our communities struggle to even have cell phone coverage. Uh, and so the internet conversation and broadband and access to that uh, is you know, that much more important. Topography is dramatic in our state. Um, from our coast, we're at you know, sea level. We have mountains that rise up to over 11,000 feet. We also have eight mountain ranges and we have high deserts to rainforest. On the economic front, uh, we have some big names like Nike, Intel, Salesforce, Lamb Weston. Um, some people may start to hear about Dutch Brothers very soon since they went public. 
and Harry and David. Also, for those who like to eat, like myself, um, World Award winning Pinot Noir and potatoes. So we have a very diverse economy um, from natural resources to tech. So bringing all that back, um, Business of Oregon is the state's economic development department, which houses the Oregon Broadband Office. Our mission is we invest in Oregon businesses, communities, and people to promote a globally competitive, diverse, and I like to include the word connected, and inclusive economy. So the Oregon Broadband Office is tasked with closing the digital divide through access, affordability, and adoption. According to the Oregon Internet Service Providers um, Availability and Coverage Broadband Now, Oregon ranks 34th in state broadband access in the nation, also ranks 28th in the US for overall strength of its broadband ecosystem. So you see we have some work to do. Um, we have also some lessons to learn from some others as well. So this journey on you know, digital equity uh, started 13 plus years ago. And I really have to give um, big props to our former communication strategist who retired a year ago, uh, Mr. Tamron, and then also our Oregon Broadband Advisory Council who's done a lot of work, uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of writing, um, really to encourage and to let people know that broadband is essential before it became popular to make that statement. So some of the work started in 2009. We had our first run at preparing a map of understanding areas that were served and unserved. Uh, in 2010, uh, we had the creation of a formal council. Uh, then in 2018, uh, the office was actually created um, as a you know, governor's order. And then in 2020, we really started working on trying to understand what did the data say? You know, what are the key things that we need to focus on really to get things moving forward? And what's interesting about that is uh, one of the key findings was we need funding for this. So it, it's a real um, precursor to where we're at today. Taking us to the funding side, uh, we had two opportunities to really test the waters to see you know, how can we you know, run programs so we had a small pilot program in 2017. That was our first test. And then uh, in response to the pandemic last, actually at 2020 now, um, we had a grant program of $10 million and we used CARES Act funding to run that. Fast forward to last year, uh, there was the creation of the Oregon Broadband Fund, which also created a revenue stream um, though small dollar amount, um, some funding that would allow us to both fund projects as well as the administrative costs. And that really leads us to the budget that was approved um, by um, the state last summer. And that was the first budget that uh, the state has ever approved for funding both um, employees as well as spending limitation for projects. So super excited about that efforts and um, definitely um, big kudos to the governor um, Governor Brown for uh, proposing a budget that actually had line items for um, broadband. What we need in our journey, and when we start talking about the tools and the gears and the study material and the maps, all of this becomes part of our strategy in how we're going to deploy funds to actually get projects done, because projects is where broadband actually gets implemented. And then for if we think on the digital literacy, security, and inclusion, uh, we need funding to actually run programs. Um, so 
a lot of our work that we've gone, you know, prior to getting, you know, both the maps and the studies prepared really led and focused and said, this is where we want to put our energies, time and money. And that ultimately is to the programs. And those are things that we're going to be working on and I'll speak on in just a moment. Access to broadband uh, is very important. So um, what I'm sharing right now is a map from Broadband USA. Uh, it shows the areas that have terrestrial 25 by 3 uh, megabits per second. Uh, red is the areas that don't have it. And so if you look at the state, it almost looks like the majority of the state doesn't have it. What's fascinating, though, when you actually have the overlay of the population, um, we have over 95% of our population actually has access to broadband. Um, but only a third actually have broadband access that um, meets the basic levels. So where the population centers are, are really in the valleys and some key areas. The other parts really are remote, and that becomes one of our challenges. So in 2020, uh, in our studying process, one of the key things that um, we had an outcome of is, well, what would it cost to actually close the divide on the infrastructure side? And so that was valued in 2020 numbers at 1.3 billion. Um, I've shared that number with a number of people in DC and they pushed back and we pushed back harder saying it's real. You know, middle mile having backhaul is essential. Some of the distances are great. And so those are things that we'll be working on in the future. But not only is it a cost, but also the need for partnerships, creativity, uh, and to ensure that we actually have good process and that we keep pace. Um, pace is a big thing. Again, you know, going back to the, the hiking and the journey and the trail, you know, theme, you know, you can try to burn out and try to do a bunch of things in a short period of time, but we know that the supply chain has issues and staffing and capacity both at the local, state, and even the federal level exists. On the urban front, it is very exciting to see some of the things that have occurred in some of our cities. So Eugene has done some great things in the digital equity space. Um, Portland has done some amazing things with their tech kit project that they had. Uh, and you know, I'll just give a quick um, shout out to an event that's going to happen next month, uh, the Net Inclusion 2022 conference um, with NDIA uh, is going to occur. It's both in person and live. Um, so um, via a virtual. So if that's something of interest and you want to take a deep dive, I would say definitely take a look at that. Uh, but this slide that I'm sharing right now is the indicator of broadband need map. And so what this map shows, uh, it highlights areas uh, from using data from the American Community Survey, uh, some data points. One, uh, areas that have more, 25% or more households that report no internet access. Uh, also, um, households that report no computer, smartphone, or tablet. 25% is a pretty high number. So this map depicts those areas. Also, um, for additional reference, I'm including information on high poverty communities, as well as um, tribal uh, lands. So drilling it down to what digital equity can look like, and you know, again, you know, in an urban area can look one way, in a rural area can look a little bit different, but I, I wanted to highlight a project that is very recent, very exciting, and the partnership that's occurred really should be highlighted um, and studied. Um, so on our rural front um, in Grant County, uh, with also the leadership of Seneca and the city of John Day, they're success stories to us. Uh, their work spans from fiber to the home in business, 
middle mile projects um, between remote communities and also what they're calling their cyber mill project. Their cyber mill project, which is a nonprofit, uh, manages co-working space for residents to access telehealth, distance learning, and telecommunication services. Grant County Digital, which is their intergovernmental agency, uses the space as co-location facilities for their local and regional broadband networks. They currently have this between buildings uh, with the Seneca Elementary and also City Hall, uh, which also serves public agencies, and then also OTC, which is their local internet service provider. They will be co-locating their fiber distribution to their home and businesses within the Seneca area. And this uh, was funded through a Reconnect Grant. So with this project, I'd say big shout out, and you always need a champion, but uh, the city manager for John Day is Nick Green. And so big shout out to him, the city of John Day, city of Seneca, and also Grant County. So this facility opened in November of last year. And so their first month statistics showed that they had over 297 entries. Uh, which is phenomenal when you think about the size of the community. Uh, in this space, you know, they're providing not only access to the internet, a space um, that's out of the elements, but it has all of the gadgets, so, you know, printer, copier, conference room that's connected with camera and mic and speakers, uh, public computers for those who may not have one, um, amenities such as coffee and even a refrigerator. Um, and, you know, their tagline is, it's the warmest place to chill in Seneca. And so I'd say it's especially true today since it's snowing. So um, again, big kudos for them. Uh, the local paper there uh, did a report and so you're seeing an image of one of that. Uh, and they quoted one of the residents and said, I'm looking for remote work and this gives me access to find work outside of an area. Access to the internet is what opens up the door to opportunity. And that I think is key because you know economic opportunity for areas that you know may have had uh, resource-driven industries that may no longer exist at the same level uh, is critical. So as we're looking at our economic development in the state, many times during our site recruitment process, you know we especially for rural areas, uh, when we are looking at companies or people actually move here for a job. Many times they have a spouse that had a position somewhere else. And that position doesn't always naturally translate, but with remote work and those opportunities, we are seeing much more opportunity with that. So very exciting. Taking this all a little bit full circle, now not only do we have some maps, do we have some training and things that we've tested, um, having done some um, research of what we need in Oregon, now it's the time to really put that plan into place. And so we have a strategic plan. Uh, we know last summer that you know we were um, providing you know five FTEs, full-time employees. So we are now getting ready for federal investment. And I, you know, I watched you know, one of the previous uh, webcasts, and I believe Alex from the Permit Institute. Uh, one of his statements was, you know, that you know we need to have a little patience and. Um, build up the institutional capacity. And I think he was primarily speaking about the federal level, but I can say from the state level, that's exactly where we're at. And so here's what we're working on. Here's the four key priorities for us to be ready uh, to deploy federal dollars. 
Um, first is hire staff, because uh, right now you're looking at half of the broadband office staff. Um, I hired uh, my first person three months ago. Uh, we actually have two recruitments out currently right now. Uh, and so we're very excited about that process. Uh, the second part is um, secure funding. And what I mean by that is you know, federal dollars and federal programs just don't say, I'm delivering you a bucket of money go do some good things with it. It actually takes not only just an application, uh, those applications many times require plans, details, uh, and also then formal agreements between the federal um, government and uh, the state. So uh, what we've done as far as applying for dollars is we first started off with um, NTIA's Broadband Infrastructure Program, uh, where we uh, applied for $16.4 million with four partners. Um, back in the fall, we applied to NDA for a state planning grant, and half of that, um, $500,000, was for broadband mapping upgrades uh, and assistance. Uh, we also, last month, just applied for um, the ARPA Capital Projects um, Fund, and we're now getting ready and doing our research for the infrastructure bill, um, for the BEAD program and also digital equity. Wrapping that all in together is we need rules to say this is our um, rules of engagement on how you apply for it, scoring, how do you challenge, um, so everyone knows how to engage uh, the state broadband office. So with that, you know, Oregon is not alone in scaling up our office. Um, one of the things that I would say that's super important is be patient. Um, know that it takes time to stand things up. Um, within government settings, uh, each state looks a little bit different. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is ensure that you are actually engaged with us, talk to us. Um, so, you know, for internet service providers and for communities, make sure that you have your projects ready and that some of those projects can be um, either phased uh, if they're not fully funded, um, depending on the funding source and when money is available. And then the other thing I would say to um, the people of Oregon, but also anyone in the US, um, again, talk to your local governments, talk to your incumbent providers, um, let them know if you don't have coverage, if you're looking for coverage, if you're looking for upgrades. Many times there's already projects in the work um, that may be very close to being implemented. Uh, and so the more that you can get that information and share that with others, the better. So, um, that's my presentation and Gary um, what do you have for me? Well Daniel um, it sounds like you're uh, you got a what now a team of two so that's uh, <laughs> pretty exciting <laughs> going to build out to that massive team of five so would you say that's pretty typical of what you've seen on state broadband offices across the country? Um, it is literally all over the board for well-staffed um, you know 20 plus offices to one person, to a part-time person, to somebody who's doing this just because it was given to them. Um, but I would say, you know, just over the last few months, um, any state that didn't have a broadband office is creating one. Uh, anyone who doesn't have a broadband manager or director uh, is in the process of hiring one. So um, there's a lot of change happening across the state. Well, and this is exactly why the Fiber Broadband Association and NTIA or excuse me, um, NTCA um, got together to say, we need to really develop a, uh, a playbook to help these, you know, help your office and help the offices across the nation because um, you guys are definitely 
woefully understaffed and you have a gigantic job in front of you. So first of all, thank you for taking this on. You know, you're the citizens of Oregon. You know, I know they greatly appreciate your efforts. Um, tell me about, you know, so I, I have run across Oregon. You know, I used to do that hood to coast run a few times from the top of uh, Mount Hood to the Pacific Ocean, you end up in Seaside. So I'm somewhat familiar um, with the topology of Oregon. Um, so it's incredibly diverse. As you said, you had super high mountains and you have coastal areas and everything in between. Uh, when you looked at 1.3 billion, was that looking at getting fiber to everyone or how did that work? Uh, that was fiber to everyone, yes. So we had a consultant and I actually asked him, like, I, I, I want a little, I wasn't here for that planning part, um, but I just had a conversation with him uh, a week ago and said, I, I need to know a little bit more on how you got those numbers and we need a refresh of what that cost estimate looks like. Yeah, no, I, I you know, pray that every broadband office sticks to their guns and make sure they don't sort, shortchange their state, you know, we, with the, the money that's coming down and the money. So you mentioned you've already tapped into the CARES Act and you have a broadband, uh, Oregon Broadband Fund. And then you mentioned the ARPA uh, capital project. I'm assuming that's a coronavirus capital project fund, the $10 billion there. How much money did you add? Was that the right, is that the program? The, the coronavirus um, yes. capital projects fund? How much money did you ask for for that? Um, so for the capital projects, uh, the state allocation is 157 million. Uh, what our budget uh, spending limitation approval was 120. Uh, right now there's a Delta that we're gonna need to address through our legislative process. Um, we actually have our first legislative day starting next week. So we are gearing up to some busy times, um, literally already started this week. Fantastic. And Daniel, please call on me if there's anything we can help you through the legislative process. I mean, we, you definitely, I'd say five is a, a pretty small team. And now what about the um, so NTIA or excuse me, the, um, what the IAJA is supposed to give out, you know, at least um, hundred million to each state. And they're supposed to start out with some money while NTIA is working on the rules. Has any of that money come down to you yet? Uh, it hasn't. And you know, so federal guidance is expected to occur in or be released in May. And I believe it's in October when they'll actually be accepting applications for funding. So it's going to take a little bit of time for NTIA to actually be able to, again, stand up the programs, uh, accept, you know, push out applications and accept them, review them. Um, so again, it's going to take the federal government a little bit of time. It's going to take the states a little bit of time. And all of us are on a little bit of different schedule. Uh, and we're also dealing with our legacy um, programs for funding uh, and closing out projects. So, you know, there, there's a lot of activity going on uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the pandemic is not disappearing on us. So this makes, you know, broadband connectivity across Oregon and every state, you know, paramount, you know, if we're going to be able to continue to grow the economy. When you, when your cult consultants looked at $1.3 billion investment, did they project what the GDP growth and kind of the return on that investment to the state? Uh, I don't believe so, but I can definitely look and get back with you. Well, we're, we may be able to help you out with that. We're doing some economic um, impact studies. You know, we saw with Chattanooga that their investment, you know, created 9,500 new jobs, 2.7 billion in positive economic impact and also other, you know, things like smart grid improvements and more resiliency to 
um, natural uh, weather events, which we're seeing a few these days. Um, mm -hmm. So how can Fiber Broadband Association, our members, best help you in Oregon get your job done? Um, sure. So, you know, first off, you know, the uh, assistance that you guys are going to be releasing and um, guidance, I think, is going to be super helpful for states. Uh, you know, we, along with um, a number of other handful of states, are participating in the PUSE, uh, what they're calling the Betty program. That's really helping broadband offices um, stand up their programs, really have them more on a evidence-based um platform and also best practices. And uh, in that process, we're also getting a good review of who's been doing what, what's been working, and then some of the challenges behind that. Um, you know, what I'm seeing is one, you know, key message, you know, again, you know, ensure that people engage um, the broadband offices, um, talk to us. Uh, if you're hearing things, uh, it would be helpful if we know that as well, earlier, better than later, um, so that, you know, if we need to include that in program, um, programmatic rules or in, you know, once we're actually implementing programs, uh, it's going to be helpful as well. Um, you know, this is a very exciting time. Uh, I mean, the amount of energy and expectation literally from, you know, everyone from, you know, you know elementary schools to university setting, workforce training, um, you know, local governments, everyone has high expectations right now. Uh, and so trying to get everyone on the same page and giving them information uh, is, is critical. Um, so that would be something. And, you know, the other thing I would say if, um, if you could maybe, you know, respond to this is uh, the timing that we're in right now, um, specifically for Oregon, uh, we have had some very unique challenges and have had to respond to hazards. So we've been in historic drought. Uh, we have had um, you know, historic fires that have done, you know, destroyed whole towns. And that, you know, has impacted the entire state um, during some of the summers um, with smoke. And we also live in a land that has earthquakes, landslides, and floods and volcanoes. So how we live in this really unique place uh, and still conduct business and do it well, you know, we need technology. Uh, and we also have, you know, ag that's going on. Uh, and fisheries. Um, so how we use our resources the best. Uh, so it's about timing and I think the timing is perfect. So uh, if you're thinking about, you know, you know, additional guidance, I would say how that can be uh, implemented and uh, any suggestions on that would be very helpful. Well, Daniel, um, you know, we're here to support you in Oregon in any way we can. We appreciate the great work that you guys are gonna be doing this year and the years to come. And uh, again, we just thank you for sharing you know, what you guys are doing on your broadband office. I hope you can hire the next three people really quickly and get things up to speed. We'll get you our playbook as soon as possible. That research is underway, going extremely well. And uh, thank you for joining us today. And I want to thank, thank everyone you. for joining us today. And I look forward to everybody getting back next Wednesday as we move quickly into this great new year, 2022. So thanks, everyone.